And I wanted to talk about the uh, what's going on in the housing market and some of the changes that are occurring and some of the factors that are going to be at play. As everyone knows, housing is a big part of the U.S. economy, um, and there's a lot been going on in that area. Uh, some of the major trends are, you know, the need to find affordable housing, the shift of where we're living coming out of the pandemic. Um, we're seeing all sorts of distortions in the housing market based on uh, interest rates, which is creating uh, elevated prices and scarce inventory. You have the workplace transformation, and then you have the impact of climate all playing a factor in what's going on. So I wanted to start by going back and looking at how the population shifted over the years. And obviously going back into the you know, 1790, you can see it was obviously very Northeast uh, and very coastal oriented. Uh, fast forward 90 years and you can see after the Civil War, you started to see the push West as people were looking for more land, more opportunities, moving away from uh, the problems of the war. And you started to see the shift West uh, continue. You get past World War II and you see that shift continue to accelerate where you're seeing more of a Western and Southern shift going on. And there's some factors that I'll talk about in a minute that were driving that. And then you can see today a big, pretty dramatic uh, move away from uh, the coast and uh, the Northeast and pushing out to uh, the West and the South, picking up in a bigger in a bigger way. Another way to look at it is looking at the median center of the population, which has shifted over time. And as you can see from the chart here, um, from most of the uh, 1890s to right after World War II, the center flip-flopped back and forth between Indiana and Ohio, meaning half the population was uh, uh, east and half the population was west. But then after that, you started to see a pretty dramatic move uh, further west and further south uh, to where we are today. And one of the key drivers of that it was originally the move to the west was about uh, water and somewhat warmer weather. The move to the south was about warmer weather, but air conditioning was a big driver for that. Obviously, jobs uh, were a big part of it as well, and more home affordability and more space for a lot of people as the northeast started to get uh, more crowded. We had a massive boom in population, as you can see from 1960 to 2020, um, but the population growth was really pretty staggering. And just to give you some numbers, back in uh, 1920, uh, Arizona had a population of about 334,000 people. New Mexico in 1920 was larger at 360,000 people population. The impact of water played a big role in that as uh, Arizona had much better access to the Colorado water than New Mexico did. And you now have a population of uh, Arizona that uh, grew to 7.1 million, where uh, New Mexico grew to about 2.3 uh, million people. So the impact of water was quite dramatic there. Um, so you can see that's one element. Another element was actually the uh, number of homes that had air conditioning. And this shows you by different regions and for the total US. Um, but from 1973 forward, you can see that parts of the Northeast, you know, uh, only 10% had air conditioning back then, and then you see it move up. Ironically, I was talking to somebody in Lake Tahoe last month when the big heat wave was coming through and most of the homes there 
were not built with air conditioning. So you're gonna, are you gonna see things start to change there? Interesting question. Climate is also playing a big role and it's uh, slowing the movement in different ways. We're seeing uh, dramatic movements in sea level temperatures increasing uh, the risk of storms and uh, other issues. You saw what's going on in Phoenix. They had the uh, record temperatures in 17 days in July were over 115 degrees Fahrenheit. And you're seeing it with uh, wildfires and hurricanes and uh, earthquakes in California now. This is just to show how bad the uh, difference is. This is wildfires in California, far worse than they've been anytime since 2016 in terms of cumulative area burned. Um, you can see Miami was setting heat records and this is hours per year over 100 degrees. Uh, over 105 degrees, which is the heat index threshold. And already this year, Miami has experienced 120 hours above. The previous annual record was in 2020 at 49 hours. So we've already beat almost by two and a half times the previous annual record in the first seven months of the year on the heat level. So the problem's getting worse. And what we're seeing is you're having more and more counties in the U.S. vulnerable to uh, heat than the rest of the nation. And I think this is going to lead to a shift back to areas we've talked about as big beneficiaries. And what you can see here is the uh, brown areas are the areas that have a, uh, are more vulnerable. The blue areas are less vulnerable. And you can see the where business, where people have been moving are moving to increasingly vulnerable areas and uh, that will likely start to reverse. So while in the near term, I think the trends will continue to be towards the South and the West, I think a lot will depend on mortgage rates in the labor markets, but also energy availability. And I think the shift away from the coastal areas will be accelerating in the next uh, couple of years as people want better access to water, land, energy and talent and jobs. So that's gonna be a big part of it. But when you look at this map, this is the Atlanta Fed and they're showing affordability and affordability is the green dots and the lack of affordability is in the, um, in the, gray, in the brown areas. And you can see places like um, Scranton and Des Moines and Harrisburg, PA and Toledo, Ohio, Akron, Pittsburgh, Youngstown, Cleveland, the old steel areas are areas where there's great affordability. So are we going to see a shift back because of some of the policies that are in place because of home affordability, because of climate, another population movement back to the areas that we talked about. And Mark, this is playing on the theme we've talked about for probably two years now when Nancy first raised uh, the idea of the Midwest being the best emerging market. I think that's still in play. I think the other big element that we have to keep in mind is mortgage rates and the sudden shift up from three and a half percent or three percent not too long ago to now seven plus percent mortgage rates. And what does that do? It's actually changing the dynamics on supply and demand. It's stopping people from selling existing homes, putting a lot of pressure on new home builders. Part of the reason Buffett's moving to the uh, uh, increasing his stakes in new home builders, I believe, is because of this demographic trend and the lack of availability of existing homes. And I would say for the people expecting that mortgage rates will come back in when we have a problem and they'll drop dramatically, history suggests that that might not be the case. The historic spread between the 
Uh, 30-year mortgage in the 10-year treasury is about 175 to 200 basis points. As you can see now, we're over 300 basis points spread. So even if the Fed cuts rates, I would not expect to see that mortgage rates come back in as much. And in fact, I would su suspect that they'll maybe lower rates a year out on the uh, short end, but we'll see the long end of the treasury stay higher, meaning that uh, going back to the rates we saw in the past, not likely gonna happen. And we're dealing with a new level of affordability for homes. So what do we see over the next 50 years? The challenges are gonna be around water, land usage, affordability, and climate change. That's absolutely gonna be a big part of it. I think you'll see, and you already are seeing the ability to insure homes in different areas is uh, changing. The uh, uh, violence of storms is increasing in a, in a way that we haven't contemplated. And just think the Gulf of Mexico is probably up four degrees in temperature versus its historic norms. So we have to find ways to deal with that. We have to find ways to address the water issue. And uh, long distance aqueducts is one of the things that's being looked at on the West Coast desalinization plants is another part of it. How we deal with the water problem goes a long way to dealing with the energy problem and a long way to dealing with the uh, housing affordability. Without new sources of water, I think you'll see a reversal of the shifts and a move back up towards the Midwest and uh, away from the coast a little bit, but to areas that have uh, the beneficiaries of it. But I suspect you'll see the old industrial states being big beneficiaries of it due to the affordability, due to the uh, access to talent in other areas. So um, a lot going on in this area. It's just one element of all the things that are going on with all the problems we see in the world. But I think these changes are really uh, going to be fascinating to see how we evolve. And this is all part of the adjusting to uh, higher rates after an extended period of zero interest rates. So Mark, stop there and it opened up for questions. We also have uh, Jackson Hole meeting this week as well. Yeah, what's your what's your prediction there? I think he's going to continue along the lines with what uh, William said. Uh, they're going to not be as aggressive on when rates get lowered, and uh, uh, but he's not going to be aggressive on rates going up either. There are things that are being done that are doing the Fed's work for them. Um, a lot of the tightening conditions that are going on today. And the fact that I think there uh, you're starting to see cracks in the consumer, which when we talked about it at Newport, people didn't see the consumer uh, starting to slow down. But I think you're starting to see the low end consumer starting to get hit and that could take some of the pressure off inflation. Uh, so some of the work's being done for the Fed, but I think his message will be more work to do. We're not done yet and uh, we're going to be data dependent. So a bit of a chicken outcome for him. but. Uh, probably the best one he could do. Fair enough. Anyone disagree with, with Stephen? Or questions on comments on housing? Yeah. Uh, Stephen, what do you think in terms of uh, desalinization? You're showing a shift away from the coasts and uh, desalinization plants would seem to mitigate that. Is that anything in your vision? But it's really what if if California could get some desalinization going, they could help a lot of the neighboring states as well with it. So you can move. You can't. You're not going to solve the Midwest problems with it um, or landlocked states directly, but you can help them indirectly with that. So Nevada, uh, 
uh, New Mexico, some of the other states closer to California might be beneficiaries of it. It's not an answer for everything, that's for sure. Thanks. Speaking of California, anybody here uh, in the LA area that might have experienced what happened last couple of days? Or Michael Daly, have you any comments? We had some very heavy rain and then the media takes the most awful picture they could possibly locate to show this mud and flood and nobody died. And I'm sure there's a lot of property damage. And the rain made it all the way to Oregon. I was up the mountain there a couple of days ago. And my daughter in LA said it was incredibly heavy rains and that was it so far, some more winds, but not the uh, hurricane-like conditions. But is it, does that change the water levels? Uh, yeah, I think, the, I think California's uh, uh, not having a problem there. I think the problem with water levels is in uh, one of the big canals. Um, not sure if it's this. One of our canals is they're having trouble getting stuff through now uh, around the world, but it's not. I think California is getting a little respite right now. Yeah, when the rain dumps in the L.A. basin, there's really no way to capture that. Mm. California gets water from out of state and then from the snowpack that gets left in the Sierra. So we had a great winter, but it didn't solve all the problems. We could use another. Another great winter. Fair enough. Other... There's an interesting element, Mark, going on that the that the consumer is starting to change their behavior as a result of the uh, stimulus starting to fade and the higher costs still with us. And I think that you may see behavior change pretty quickly for a lot of consumers, which well, will change the prospects for companies' earnings. I'm, I'm looking at Paul. <laughs> Paul, that's your cue. You want to sp speak on this? I think I've spoken enough on that, but I have a separate question maybe for Stephen. Fine. On... So all these issues around uh, you know, climate change, potential disaster, you know, areas where all these people are moving. How does the insurance industry kind of play a part in this? Because let's say I was actually down in Naples touring a bunch of properties, not personal properties, unfortunately, but there were like $20 million homes, $80 million homes, $60 million homes. There was... Uh, some very expensive homes and they're right on the water uh, and they're literally about three or four feet above the canals. Uh, and the question is like, who's insuring these homes given the fact that they are at risk and they're such a high, at a, such a high valuation? Uh, that is the rub. They're having trouble finding people to insure the homes in Florida and insurance companies are leaving the state pretty aggressively. So I think a lot of people are ending up on those homes self-insuring. Yeah, it's a problem. It's a real I mean, issue. They're still building. So I'm not, it's not as if it doesn't exist. And these are not, these are unlikely, I'm assuming the people that can self-insure. But the but, bank, the banks accept that? It depends on the capital. But right. I, if you're. Just have enough, you have enough equity. Yeah, yeah I, I just thought that was unusual that, yeah. you know, the, the level of of valuation at the you know clear risk that they're at but that's uh the insurance issue is a big issue and and certainly in florida it's going to be a bigger issue in other uh vulnerable states 
It's coming here in California. Yep. State Farm has stopped writing property insurance in, in state as of June. So I need to give Joe Zara have his hand up. I just want to make a plug for um, Naples. And Joe, you'll appreciate this. It involves pickleball. Um, I think we're going to, we're, we're getting more organized uh, ahead of time for, you could have an exhibition match, could have some other bells and whistles coming together. So get ready for Naples pickleball. All right, Joe, your question. I can't wait. You know, I love me some Naples pickleball. I was, I was actually going to go play Padel tonight, which is a, like a variant. Of yeah, pickleball, yeah. 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 Um, Stephen, do you see like I saw a big shout out to Scranton, Pennsylvania, Stephen? That was interesting. Do you see? Yeah. Uh, I don't want to talk about Scranton. <laughs> I know you don't, but uh, <laughs> do, do you see like people actually leaving these big metropolitan cities and moving into these sort of you know the Pittsburghs and these you know these steel and coal mining towns where there is real affordability? But like, are there jobs? And I guess in this new kind of economy, are people moving towards that more affordable place to live just because of uh, that affordability? And then second question, which is totally unrelated, just bigger macro. I know this isn't really something you focus on, Stephen, but I'm sure I know it is. China, um, the housing market in China, what's happening there, it really seems like there's a lot of risk. And you know, given the size of that economy, how much debt is outstanding, the trillions of dollars in debt, how much, how much, how many loans from developers are outstanding? Do you guys see, are you concerned about that? Are you watching that? Just kind of curious, curious what you think. Yeah, on the first one, I think they are slowly moving, but not moving as fast as they will when the jobs are there and the jobs are moving there. You're seeing it with the uh, Inflation Reduction Act and the other spends. So I think people are are moving and will move. It will depend on how the work from home actually settles out, which I think you're starting to see, you know, when Zoom says people need to be in the office at least two days a week, that's an interesting sign about uh, how they see that going. So I think it'll be slow, but Joe, I think it's going to be longer term. You'll see a shift away from the coast um, back to the, the center of the country um, as the weather patterns drive that, but also as people move there because more industry is moving back to the mid Midwest. On China, I think they have multiple problems that they're working through that we, we've talked about. They have a near-term debt issue that's a cyclical debt problem inside a secular debt problem that they have to work through. Um, but that's manageable. The secular one, the cyclical one is going to be painful. Um, I think it will impact not only the residential, but commercial real estate. And it's going to have a, uh, a big impact on the Chinese economy because real estate's 25% of their GDP. So I think this is part of the uh, cracks that um, China is going to experience in their growth trajectory that uh, they made it to... I guess they're around fourteen or seventeen thousand uh, dollars per capita GDP, which is a big number. Um, most emerging economies struggle to get through the six thousand level, but they're at a level now that they're trying to break through, and this is a tough. They're in a tough spot, and we'll be in one for a while. I think their policies will probably determine how long they, how long it takes to get out of their problem, but they got to they got to hand their hands full. Uh, not an easy answer, and it has big implications for the rest of the world. China is such a big driver of growth. So. Yeah, that's why I was curious. Thanks, Stephen. Thanks, Mark. So, Anna, you did. You had your hand up. You you put your hand back down on purpose. Did Joe ask your question? Actually, yes. Actually, Stephen responded in responding to Joe's question. Stephen answered my question. So 
still good. Thank right. you. Steven, great job. Thank uh, you. Thank you. By the way, Anna, where are we having lunch on Thursday that anybody can join us? Where is it at? It's too far for Josh. It's actually an hour and a half for Josh to come down there. So okay. we'll need to figure out another spot. There are plenty of spots, beautiful spots, restaurant, crab shell. If anybody is anywhere from uh, Westport to Greenwich, Connecticut, we're going to get together for a lunch on Thursday. I'm so assuming New, ha New Haven's probably too far for everyone, right? <laughs> <laughs> Steve, you don't have to be there, so don't don't answer that question. All right, go ahead. Uh, it's on the way for somebody, Josh. <laughs> it's on the way for me on the way to Newport and back, but uh, Walter. Yeah. Hi, Stephen. Hi, um, Walter. Good to see you. A uh, couple of observations that I'd like to comment. One of them is tax implications. We see a lot of companies moving from regions to regions based on tax implications out of California, out of Washington State, into Texas, into Florida, et cetera. So that's Ohio. one observation. Love your comment on that. And then the other one is um, with the work from home, um, the, the, the lack of return to the office, I live in Seattle and right here outside of Seattle, we're seeing an explosion in real estate in smaller towns just outside of Seattle. So folks recognize they need to go into the office, but they don't need to be there that often. So they move out just a bit. And we're seeing real estate prices increase significantly in small towns around Seattle. Your comments, please. Yeah, I think this is just this is part of the shift when you go to a three day work week or a two day work week you can take a longer commute for the two days or three days. So that's changing the behavior of people and it changes the, they're going for where there's affordability and that tends to push them up, push them out. So I think you'll see this spread occurring. It's not just here. Canada is going through a, this, a similar uh, thing where they're, what is it? 85% of the population lives within, you know, like so many miles of the U S border in Canada they're pushing that further out too. So I think you're, you'll see this slow creep continuing uh, along uh, for some time. And I think that will push, it'll, you'll see this push go on. You know, we've seen it in major metropolitan areas for a long time. I think you'll just see some of that, but for different reasons. I think this one's the people wanting to, to get a little more space and a little more affordability and move away. I do think the major cities are going to start to see a reversal going back as we get uh, more affordable housing created, but that's going to take some time. So I think in the near term, you're just going to see that. I think that's going to keep prices up a little higher uh, for longer than people would probably hope. Andrew? Thanks, Mark and Stephen. Uh, just a, some anecdotal intel from South Carolina, where I spend a lot of time for business. Um, putting aside the last few years of the effects of COVID and, and climate change and all that, South Carolina has done a really great job at attracting big corporations. The likes of Boeing, um, Mercedes-Benz, Volvo, Bosch, um, there's a there's a burgeoning tech sector that's pretty vibrant here. So I'm just sharing that with the group that one of the reasons that South Carolina has done so well is because of that. Even before that, uh, BMW and Michelin were up in the upstate of Spartanburg and Greenville. So states' decisions on that level really uh, play a big role in the, the success of the, the state economies. So Charleston should be on everybody's radar. 
Yeah, tax incentives. I mean, Greenville for a long time, Andrew, was uh, the place that more CEOs, re CEOs retired to. And I think they were, as the more CEOs retired there, the more they were dragging their companies along with them. Um, so that is a big element. And and as you saw, a lot of their building was further inland from away from the coast for a lot of the factories that they were putting up for those uh, foreign direct investment. They were big beneficiaries because they put a lot of really creative tax incentives in place. And it's a great place to live on top of all that. A lot of people, because of COVID, took early retirement and have been moving down here in droves. Florida, too. I mean, the southeast is inundated, but Charleston's kind of a poster child for that. And the and the mayor here, who I happen to know, their family, um, he had a run, a 40-year run here, Joe Riley, and he he made some great decisions that resulted in what the likes of Charleston is today. And two other, there's other factors that are at play, but I, I would say that you could see that uh, Tennessee, Kentucky, the Carolinas away from the coast um, are all areas that you could see capital flowing to and uh, people moving to. In Tennessee's case, they understand the tax issue quite well, tax incentive issue well. I don't know who was. I just, I just wanted to point out we're going, we are going down to your part of the world, Andrew. Uh, Jim Carroll is in Charleston, by the way, and uh, so just so everybody on everyone's radar. Uh, Anna Blanco, Stephen, um, what, what, um, how does the generational change in the United States factor into this move to those? smaller cities, if any, if it has any impact whatsoever. Do you have any insight on that? Any thoughts on that? I think it, I don't, but I think it may be a little too soon to know because I think the young people are still dealing with um, what their life is gonna be like post pandemic, what they want out of life, how they think about work, all that's still, I think, being defined for a lot of the younger people. So I think we'll find out over the next couple of years the answer to that question. Okay. Thank you, Stephen. Great presentation. Thanks, Adam. Uh, Wanda? Uh, thank you, Stephen. I just wanted to make a quick comment regarding insurance in Florida. So one uh, of the companies who are insuring in Florida is Geico, who is uh, owned by Berkshire. This year, Geico's insurance contributed about 30% into the profits. And it's a big game and some say gamble of Daid Jain, I think is his name the chief um, insurance person and the brain behind Berkshire. So they are betting against other insurance companies who are moving away and they're setting up their premiums appropriately for the market prices. Uh, there was a discussion at the shareholders meeting, last shareholders meeting, when this strategy was challenged. And the response was that the modeling shows that it would take 
two major storms with uh, or uh, hurricanes with somewhat unlikely likelihood to happen within the near term for Geico to go under. Um, so uh, the take home messages for those who are looking for insurance in Florida, Geico is pretty much the only name to go to. Thank you. Thank you. We talked about insurance during the uh, our 1030 meetup. And what we're going to have is an interesting and how private equity is buying insurance. And we have a uh, a new member from Utimco, which is a big player in the private equity side that will be uh, weighing in on that. Andy Fish? You're on mute. Oh, sorry. Uh, no, just a quick point on, on the movements. I think you have three slices. You have uh, uh, wealthy firms relocating Texas, Florida, Citadel, et cetera, merely for tax purposes. Um, and, and of course, the, the weather's better. Um, you have sort of the industrials moving to places where there's a workforce that's relatively inexpensive and relatively inexpensive to to put that footprint you guys know ohio obviously uh and i just posted there's a auto plant in savannah being built um south carolina was brought up and that's so that's the, the second slice and i don't think they're they're similar um in in any respects um and and the other one uh is simply businesses that uh can diversify their workforces because of remote learning and i I think of like Alliance Bernstein in New York, uh, moving all their back office, middle office, et cetera, to Nashville, Tennessee, um, uh, because uh, it's better than being on Sixth Avenue and all the portfolio managers are still on Sixth Avenue. So I think there's three different conversations to be had and that's, that's all I was gonna say. Thank you. Rob, thanks, Andy. Rob Collarini. Hey, hey thanks, Mark. Good, good to hear you all. Um, Steve, the, um, I guess what happened in terms of um, in Hawaii and in California with the weather, do you, do you see some political fallout at the local or, or state level of unpreparedness or sort of more, um, uh, I guess, more uh, the, uh, you know, to the climate movements in, the, in those areas or sort of uh, some of the Washington things that touch that? It's, it's interesting from a political perspective, who do you blame? The guy who's there now when it happens or the people who haven't done anything for 50 years? You know, our, our whole system has been ignored in terms since really World War II when we did the, you know, the, a lot of the building after that. We haven't really spent much on it. So I do, I do think there'll be fallout, but I think the blame is probably going to be misplaced on that. Um, there were things that uh, clearly that they made some mistakes with Hawaiian Electric that they um, have come to light. But uh, yeah, I think there'll be a lot of uh, blame going around, but it also changes um, the risks of utilities as investments and all that. And how do we think about utilities and the rate, the rates they're charging and what their liabilities are and all that. It's a, it's, these disasters picking up the way they are is going to redefine a number of industries. Um, 
I think the utilities is one. I think the banking industry is another. And I think the insurance industry is the third that you can see all have direct impact from the climate change issues that they're going to have to sort through. Other questions, comments? Same rub uh, on that. What else? Mark, are we going to do an update on Ukraine? Oh, real quick. Sorry, sorry, sorry Steve. I, I think it was on your slide 16. Um, it was a lot of it with the with the U.S. map. I missed it. I, I blinked and you flipped through it, but there was a nice big blue area around St. Louis and Southern Illinois. So I was curious what that looked like since I live in St. Louis. So uh, there's an opportunity for us here in the extraordinarily hot Midwest right now. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be selling it in, in August, but um, <laughs> you have people out there. But, you know, that um, the Midwest is one that uh, was benefiting from it. And uh, uh, St. Louis area um, ha has a lot of attractiveness from a central location. Also, uh, there is affordability uh, as an issue as well there. So um, home affordability is a big part of that. Uh, that issue uh, for them. So I think that's a, that's an element, but you also have good access to students as well. Sounds about right. Cool. Well, good, good, good to know. That is our major marketing push here is it's affordable to live here. Past <laughs> that, it's, it's a little tougher sell, but. Uh... <laughs> good barbecue. <laughs> yeah, that, that we do have, but today is not a good day to be here. It is, this week is unbelievably bad. Um, yeah, stay away. <laughs> Go north. Those rivers there are a big part of our economy as a country, aren't they? Aren't they still moving a lot of things by barge? Um, it is It is absolutely one of the best places in the country for supply chain, which is what our, our fund is entirely focused on, is supply chain technology. So we're the number three rail center in the country after Kansas City and Chicago were the number one for all inland um, shipping. So all the barge traffic and everything. So um, <clears throat> we've got we've got four different highways coming, four different interstates coming in here, plus every major railroad, um, every every major agriculture company is shipping through here because of the river. So um, we're in an extremely unique position from a logistics and supply chain standpoint. Uh, plus, we also have um, the headquarters for U.S. Transportation Command is right over at Scott Air Force Base on the other side of the river. So, um, so they're controlling all of the all of logistics and shipping for the entire military uh, is operated out of there. So we're we're in a really unique space um, from that standpoint, and we're yeah, incredibly affordable to operate from. So it's uh, it's a unique little spot. Um, I've, I've lived here forever and worked every place else, so I've, I've got an interesting view on it. But we've um, we've we've got our we've got a lot of problems here that need to be solved. But um, from from where I operate, like I said, is all procurement, logistics, supply chain, technology. 
it's a fantastic place to be, uh, as well as advanced so, manufacturing. We, all of that we, capability exists GP, here. Should we do a, a logistics, uh, a sort of combo roundtable, St. Louis roundtable and logistics uh, event? Bring all those who are involved in that sector together. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think it's certainly doable, and uh, I'm happy to happy to get you connected with some of the the local people here that are the that are the big experts on it. So we've got a. So to, to, to that point, I I I uh, my family office we went we visited with Arch Cole. Oh back yeah. In, back in the day, it was it was the hottest winter we'd had. I think it was like 2008 or nine. Yeah. Gas coal prices, gas gas prices dipped down. It was interesting. But I, I was also there when when the American Idol was there. Oh. Uh, <laughs> looked, looked a little more fun. Uh, 